Hello and welcome back um, to part two with Connie the Unfuckening. How are you? I'm fine. How are you? Good, good. Now, we had discussed before the show. Um, let's go back to when it all started to change, when, when things started to go south to the point where you said, I have to get out of this and I have to move on and try and heal from this. Mm-hmm. Um, there was a very clear line that was drawn. Um, and it wasn't so much the line with me, it was the line that was drawn with my sons. And that was, you know, the increase in violence. The marriage w- was full of coercion and control, and um, it was full of a lot of demeaning and degrading and a lot of blame. You know, no matter what I did, I was wrong. I was blamed for everything you know everything from why he got sick and why he had high blood pressure to I don't know pick something (laughs) so um I saw a pattern of behavior that was increasing and it was increasing and violent and um he kicked down a baby gate and he scared Wyatt who was who was three at the time when that happened and then um my younger son was left in a truck during a snowstorm. So when things started to occur to the kids, that's when I said, you know, I'm getting closer and closer to that line. And I was right there. And then the true line of demarcation um, for me was I had started to take boxing lessons because I saw the violence increase and he started directing it at me, more and more violence at me. And the kids too. Yeah, the kids were, um, he, he'd never laid a finger on the kids, but he he did those things, like I, I just mentioned, and that was, In you know. In front of them. And, and I'm a person, you do something to my kids, all bets are off. You know, you hurt my kids, you hurt somebody I love, you're not, you're, you're going to have a big problem. So one night he, I went out with a girlfriend, went to a concert, he knew where I was, he talked to my girlfriend, and, um, you know, I came, I, when I came home, it was like one o'clock in the morning and he confronted me and he started yelling at me. He accused me of having an affair. He, you know, he got in my face and asked me what his name was. And I, I just looked at him and I said, well, it's, and I said, my girlfriend's name. And I said, you, you talked to her while I was with her, you know, and he just couldn't get it through his head that I wasn't with anybody else. And he just, he just really got close and up into like way into my space. And I thought he was going to hit me or push me. And I got into my boxing stance and I said, you know what, if this, if he's going to do this, then I'm going to defend myself. And, um, you know, he, he just got in my grill and started screaming at me. And I was like, you better back off. You better step back. And he's like, what? Why? And he just kept trying to escalate it. And he's like, do you want me to hit you? And he's trying to egg me on. And I said, you just need to decide what you're going to do. And he just kept coming at me. And I said, if you hit me, it's the last thing you're going to do. He never hit me. He backed off and he threw a cordless phone at me because we didn't, I mean, we had cell phones back then, but we still had like house phones. Nobody has a house phone anymore, really. But he threw a phone at me instead. And this wasn't the first time he threw something at me. And at that point I was like, yeah, I'm done. I'm done. I'm I'm not going to, 
I'm not going to do this anymore just because I don't want my kids to be in this type of environment. I don't want them to learn what love isn't. I wanted to be the best example for them um, to love and respect yourself more. And yes, I did make a commitment. You know, I, I made a commitment, Helen Highwater, which I had already been through with him. Um, and I had asked him to go to counseling. I asked him to, you know, pick up the pieces or try and create something. Because like I said in the last episode, I was alone in my marriage, but then I was married to a stranger because he had no memories of us. You know, all of our inside jokes, the, everything was obliterated by the stroke. So he wouldn't even go to counseling with me to pick up the pieces or try and remember or build something with me. So, um, How much of a factor do you think the stroke played on the way he behaved after? Um, well, he already had those tendencies before. It just exacerbated them. Yes. Uh, actually, when I was in college, I did an internship for a year um, with working with people with traumatic brain injury. And what happens when somebody has a stroke or a traumatic brain injury, um, excuse me, they lose that filter often. And that filter is that ability to control and temper oneself. So that was removed. So um, it just made everything that much worse. It's a good taking time. Yeah. yeah. And I, looking back, even today, like you never know who you're going to get with him from one minute to the next. Um, and he put on a good show in the beginning, um, in the beginning of the marriage. And then after, after like the first month, I started to see, you know, who, who I married. Um, so needless to say, when I filed for divorce, things got very, very ugly because I had a, a temporary restraining order on him. And we were able through our attorneys to work out an agreement um, where we kept the kids in the house. Um, it took a year and a half to divorce him and it was, it was a level of hell that I never thought that I would be in. And I, and I wanted to try and split up with him amicably, but he just wasn't going to have it. And part of it was because he didn't understand why I wanted to divorce him. And to this day, he can't tell you why I divorced him. He's never asked me. He's never talked to me about it. Even when we were amicable for three years, not once did he ask. So, um, during the divorce, he, and I met, I believe I mentioned this in the, the last episode that he would, um, manipulate me, um, and, and use the kids to control me. And it, he, there, there were things that he did that, uh, I mean, he would take my stuff. Like he took my nice pea coats and stuff my work suits with matching shoes mm -hmm. my business suits he took them I mean things like that he broke into uh, my bedroom was locked and he broke into it and he took my class my college class ring and my high school class ring like yeah it was very strange it was very personal very I don't, personal I don't understand when people take things like that it's a form of possession um, cause narcopaths, a lot of it is about possession and that possession gives them a, a level of control 
because when they lose somebody or when they feel like they're losing somebody, especially in a divorce or as you're on the outs of a relationship with somebody, the more they have a feeling of loss of control, they lose control even more so. So they're trying to grab on to anything that will allow them to feel a sense of control. And they try and hurt you because they want a response because they want that attention so badly. And I didn't understand that until I started to truly unfuck myself. <laughs> and, um, but he, all, everything that he was doing brought me to a very, very dark place. And um, I remember the day I just, I wanted to crawl into a hole and end my life and not come out. Like I just wanted it over because that was an escape for me that felt better than what I was enduring. When you get to that point where there's, you feel like there's no other alternative. No. People don't understand it. Mm-hmm. It's horrifying. Yes. Because you start to get numb and mm-hmm. you're already starting to perhaps think about if people are going to notice like the pain that you're in, you know, mm-hmm. um, and hopefully it's not too late, but it happens so often. Yep. And I didn't really have a support system. I had my parents, thank God. I had one friend because I had lost a lot of my friends or who I thought were my friends because of the divorce. Um, he was a police officer and a lot of people saw me as, wow, how could she do this to him after he was sick and after all that? And my thought was, you know, I was there too and I lived through it. I was awake every minute of it and I gave birth during it, you know, and a lot of the truth that came out after that was very hurtful. So it was layer upon layer upon layer and I just... I wanted it to end and it wasn't the truth what people thought was the truth yeah yeah it was a facade it was a facade yeah, yeah. the whole story probably made up so I didn't have really anybody that I could turn to that could I could talk to who would understand you know and so I re- and I had a healthy outlet I was um training for triathlons mm-hmm. so I had a very healthy outlet but I was still in a place where I just couldn't I didn't want to take it anymore. And I remember going to one of the state parks. It's still one of my favorite places to go. And um, there's a beautiful lake. And um, I remember sitting, staring at the lake, thinking, you know what? No. No. Because I have two kids. And if I end this, he wins. And who do my who do my kids have? They weren't they aren't gonna have me. They're gonna be stuck with him. And I wasn't gonna allow that. My kids needed me. And I wanted to I knew I needed to save myself to save my kids eventually. Um little did I know, twelve years later, that that's actually happened. So I feel like looking back, I somehow managed to do the right thing. Um, But once I pulled myself out of that hole, my mindset changed. And then then I, I started to get bitter. And then, you know, during the divorce, I was in such a defense mode that I wasn't really looking at myself. 
And then, and I mentioned it before how, you know, I remember during one of the custody cases that I sent him an email response that made me sick. I went to the bathroom and threw up because my response made me sick to my stomach. And I decided that I couldn't poison myself anymore. Like it wasn't a quality of life that I wanted for myself. And it certainly was not the mother that my boys deserved and I wanted them to have. So I cut my shit. And I took a look at myself and I went on a very spiritual path um, of looking at myself. And I actually used my ex-husband as a reflection because I believe everybody that comes into your life is a reflection of you. And they have something to offer you so that you can look at yourself. And if they don't mesh with you, then they're giving you an opportunity to see what those qualities are in that other human being to say, are those inside of me? And do a self-assessment. So anytime he tried to control me and anytime he tried to do certain things to me, instead of making it personal and saying, I can't believe he's doing this to me and I can't believe it was, what do I need to learn? He's exhibiting this behavior. He's trying to control me. Why? If he's my mirror, what am I doing to try and control either him or somebody else in my life? So when I started to look at him that way, instead of a person that's hurtful and trying to hurt me, I looked at it as, what am I supposed to do here to look at myself and improve? So I was able to look at him and say, wow, I'm doing the same things he's trying to do to me. And that doesn't make me a better person. Do you think that was always the case or was that just in retaliation to? A lot of it was in retaliation to him. So you're just, you were reacting. Yeah, I was. Which is not good. No, I wasn't. You're not acting. Exactly, because I was in such a defensive mode because he was trying to take the kids from me full custody and there's nothing that is more hurtful when than when somebody tries to take your kids away from you and they've got no valid reason um so and he was doing it just to spite me because i hurt him by divorcing him and i understand that it's and he also didn't have a lot of understanding as to why i left him he still thinks believes truly believes that i had an affair and thankfully, I didn't. <laughs> you but as hard as you try, though, you'll never he's, change that. It, he he's believing what he wants to believe based upon the lies he plays. He says and believes in his head. And whether I did or I, you know, at the end of the day, I have my integrity intact, and I can look at my kids when they're older and say, "Do not cheat on your significant other." do not lie about it don't like if you do something like that or thinking about doing it have a conversation and be honest and because that might turn the tide it might it might and you know if you exhaust everything you can with yourself then at the end of the day when you strip back everything you have your integrity intact so in going through this process 
you know, in looking at him as my reflection, I did a lot of meditation. And my meditations brought me to a place of such healing and peace. What do you do for meditation? Everyone has something. Mm, yeah. Candles, sage. I mean, you like sage. I do sage, yeah. Do you, do you think of, you know, meditation, what I learned from meditation was we started doing it when I was like 15. I took Kung Fu. Mm -hmm. And the meditation process was, um, you know, however you're sitting, shut your mind down and think of your breathing. Mm -hmm. And think of your breathing as like a waterfall going down into your lungs and mm -hmm. clear everything away, you know. But some people have, they put music on, mm -hmm. they have um, some kind of, uh, I, I, I don't know what you call it, but a meditation guru maybe. Mm -hmm speaks in very soft tones, very slowly, to try and relax you. Um, I've tried that. Sometimes just, believe it or not, like sometimes water has a very powerful meditative property. Rain, waterfalls, even like a stream. So some people, some people do that. I have a hard time. I do it very rarely. I pray every day, but what's your, take us through a little bit of what you do. Well, for me, my spiritual journey didn't start with meditation. My spiritual journey actually started years ago when I was 17. And um, I, I had visions. So I had a vision that my swim coach died. And that night she actually did die um, from cancer. And um, then... When I was in college, and I, I was a, a swimmer in college, I did a lot of um, visualization for my races to achieve my goals to get to the national level. So I've always used that as an avenue, and I incorporated music. So by the time I, you know, by the time I had Wyatt, I actually saw him in a vision before I had him. And then I saw Levi, both Wyatt and Levi, before I had them. And I knew what they were going to look like. They look today exactly like my vision back then. Um, so in my meditations, I've always used music. Um, what kind? You know, I don't listen to any set Okay, so you vary. You, you mix I go to whatever it calls me. Mood. Yeah. Okay. What... I'm. I no longer practice an organized religion. Yeah. Um, I have. Don't. Yeah, I follow my own inner compass and whatever I'm guided to. Spirituality. Yes. Yeah. So, if I'm guided to listen to the ocean, then I play the ocean. If I'm guided to listen to to drums, like a, a drum beat, when we use that a, a drum beat in our martial arts training during our training sessions that sometimes I listen to um, the singing bowls um, yes. it, it all depends on what I feel I'm being called to the, um, oh my god I just had a brain fart <laughs> believe it or not you know I, it's not even meditating but sometimes I fall asleep to like Bob Ross because mm -hmm. like he's very yeah. very soft and he's very what cathartic what do they call that kind of speech that was like no idea 
so it, it's popular. It's now. like tantric music, tantric voice. And even the scraping of the paint mm-hmm. across the canvas with the knife is almost like it puts you in like REM mm-hmm. almost immediately. Um, I tend to lay down and meditate. Oh. Yeah, because if I if I sit. I find I need to be strictly up against the wall, flat up against the wall, and I want to relax completely. Oh, because you hunch over when you relax. Because I hunch over. Um, now, I've done past life regressions where I've gone into hypnosis. I learned when I was in college. By yourself, you can? Yeah, I can go in. I can self-hypnotize. I'd love to be able to go in there with a preset like the termination and wake up like in office space. Just not give a shit about yeah. anything. And be like, you know what? Today I'm going to be rich and go yeah. out and get rich. I will have no more resentments. <laughs> nor guilt. Yeah, I wish. But, <laughs> but uh, there's a lot more work to that. But um, I, before I did my first past life regression under hypnosis... Um, the person that I worked with is extremely spiritual. And the th- apparently the things that I said, he asked me, he's like, where did you learn all this? And I'm like, I, I don't know. You like, it's not just that. It, it's I've recalled from memory. And I'm a believer in, obviously, past lives. I believe in reincarnation. Um, so I pull this up from memory. So I can do healing meditations. I've done healing meditations on myself. I've done healing meditations on my kids where, you know, they're sick one day and fine the next after a healing meditation. Um, so I don't know. I've never learned how to do it. I just do it. So I, people have asked me, you know, how do you meditate? And the best way I can describe how I meditate is I lay down. Listen to whatever I listen to. If my kids aren't in the house, which is rare, um, I, I like to just be in silence. Um, you ever fall asleep when you're meditating? Yes, I have. <laughs> that's what you know. Works. I have. Yeah. Well, if, you're, if your mind is that slow, that slow. Yeah. So what I end up doing is I focus on the chakras, and then whatever chakra I feel. Like I can go into it with a certain intent Mm -hmm. where I want to clear or what I want to focus on. But if I start to go into the meditation and I feel like, um, I remember my, one of my more recent meditations, I felt like my throat chakra was blocked. So you have like a target. I start out with a target, but I just go wherever my mind. Is that meditation or is that something else? No, that's, it's part of meditation. Okay. I mean, people, for some people, meditation is just a, a relaxation method. For me, it's a self-healing method. I want to open up my chakras. I want to cleanse. I want to open up avenues to receive higher frequency energies. It's you want just, to relax all attention on your body. Exactly. And once you're tense, Water. it's blocked. You're blocked and yeah. you can't receive. So... When I go into a meditation, I focus on my third eye and my breathing. And then I just go from head to toe of releasing tension, starting from my head and then just working my way down through my body all the way in each part of my body. And I'm breathing in deeply and inhaling and exhaling. And after my the tension is out of my body, mm-hmm. usually I'm laying in bed or on the floor doing this. And... I imagine myself sinking into the bed or into the floor. Like sand, like quicksand. But I, I, yes, but, but I'm very buoyant at the same time. 
And from there, for me, if I need to, or I'm looking to go into a deeper meditation than that, then I, I let my mind go. I've found myself sometimes going into a spiral and going down the spiral. Um, I have walked down staircases and, and um, tunnels to get to a deeper level of meditation. Um, you see this visually, you feel it, or both? It's both. It's both because you're in it. It's like an acid trip. I don't know. <laughs> uh, I heard. couldn't tell you. <laughs> I couldn't tell you. Um, but in those, many of my meditations, especially in the early years of my unfucking, um, I was able to receive information that over weeks and months I was able to really look at myself and my wounds um, and so for example I would go into a meditation and I'd, I'd wake up refreshed and you know ready to go and then the next couple days were going into the rabbit hole and ripping open wounds and touching them and getting intimate with them and understanding them so that I can heal them and transform them from pain into love and it is excruciating and a lot of those wounds for everybody goes back into your childhood and I remember saying I had a great childhood like my parents are still married it was very typical like I was a swimmer you know it might not have anything to do with your home life though but it could be your mental state could be something that happened to you yep one of the things I found was after my divorce, um, I took a year to myself to just square myself away and just, quote, heal. Mm-hmm. Little did I know that really wasn't healing at all. It was just like just trying to regain some sense of balance. It was the years after that that I really saw a pattern of behaviors. Um, And once I started to see that pattern of behaviors, I started to look at myself by using my ex-husband and by using music. And yeah, I... (laughs) Music is so important to me. Not just like on a spiritual level. Um, Forget about meditating or anything like that. I'm very cathartic. Mm -hmm. So I need powerful music at Mm -hmm. some point. That I need nice calming music. That's why I like classical so much because mm-hmm. classical is so, you know, like some Wagner is so operatic and and powerful and you know heavy crescendos and drums and mm-hmm. and then Be- I'll put on some Beethoven and it's like it just calms you, mm-hmm. you know. And music is such a powerful uh, part of my life. Mm-hmm. It keeps me really balanced. Yeah, very balanced. And it could be, it, I mean, I could be listening to Metallica one minute and Beethoven the next minute. Yeah, I can't and switch gears like that. No. <laughs> for me, it's almost, it's almost like Metallica or like heavy metal is almost like the heavier part of classical music. Mm-hmm. Like it's yes. taken from that. I can, I get that, yeah. And then I don't know what to equate with like, um, just like a piano concerto or something like that. But, you know, you look at me and you're like, you know pre-built guy tattoos you know and people always say you know you listen to classical music I'm like yeah I love classical music it's like my favorite you know um, and I didn't appreciate it until I got actually no I appreciated it before I got sober but um, 
you know, getting getting back to uh, your part of the healing process, I I went through something, you know, very painful, and my sponsor, who I would I would definitely say is kind of like an an advisor. And I wouldn't say a spiritual advisor. He's you know he's not a religious man, but he so he told me when I was going through something, you got to get out of your head. You got to stop thinking about it. Mm-hmm. All right. Six months down the road, I have a conversation with him. You know, you might want to look at that now and try and work through it. I'm like, excuse me? He's like, yeah. You, you know, it's been long enough where you've kind of let it, the sting come off, you know? I'm like, are you fucking kidding me? I got to look at this now? Yeah. Now I have to work yep. through this. Mm-hmm. He's like, you have to. You've been putting it off for sanity purposes now that it's should have been long enough time and you should have been trying to not think about it as much now i want you to think about it on purpose to work through it use that emotional range purge yourself see your part in it if there is one if you haven't taken a look already and then that's when the healing starts so sometimes you you go like with your case like a divorce you can go years of trying to just put it on a back burner but at some point you have to and this is where a lot of people go to psychiatrists they help you walk through that and and address it and there's a box of tissues next to you for a reason because a healthy adult is supposed to use a full range of emotions I also found that out too some people don't and they're not healthy emotionally because they don't know really they walk around just kind of deadpan you know And they don't have, they're never happy, they're never sad, they're never really mad, they're not, they don't have a good sense about them. Mm-hmm. And people like that, you usually just have a miserable look on their face. Mm-hmm. You can tell there's no energy there. Yeah. There's nothing. You look in their eyes and there's nothing there. Mm-hmm. And they have no passions in life. And that was one thing that I said to myself, I'm going to have, I'm going to, have passion in my life I mean I don't know if you can actually say that like turn on like a switch but the passions that I had um, really started to shine through when I unfucked myself same thing happened to me then I'm like wow all this stuff that I always thought about all the time I'm gonna jump right in yep you know Mm -hmm. because that's when you truly start living when you okay now you Mm -hmm. you went through your divorce and you went through some really rough times and now you 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 put it on the back burner and you start to go now you have to look at it right so now you have your meditation you have your spirituality you have your music what else did you do did you get involved triathlon and you had started to do hub keto was that when that started I was doing triathlons during that time and um, there was two significant um, recollections that I had during this time that contributed to where I am now and the first one is um, I was listening to a piece of music and I don't even remember the name of the song to be honest with you but it made me go back in time because I remember that day where I stood up for myself and I wasn't going to take a shit anymore and that I needed to change my course and my son's course as well for the better. And so 
going back in time, I remember seeing I was four and my mom and dad got into an argument. And my mom got fed up. She packed her Samsonite, blue Samsonite suitcase and walked out the door. And my dad nearly shit himself. <laughs> he shit himself. And my mom wasn't working. She was an at-home mom. So, you know, my dad went to work so she could stay at home and raise my sister and I. And, and he freaked out. And he went, he put us in the car and went looking for my mom. And I remember to this minute where she was. And I, he found her, got out of the car. And my sister and I were sitting in the car. And we were watching. And they were talking. And my mom eventually came back. And, you know, obviously she's, she's still with my dad and everything. But that was one of my earlier memories. Um, Imagine it was that easy, though. It's, yeah, it's not that easy. <laughs> but, you know, what I did was it made me realize that she, as close as I am with my father, in those moments, my mom taught me how to stand up for myself. If my mom hadn't done that, and that memory wasn't somewhere buried in my brain, I don't know if I would have stood up for myself. Did you ever know what transpired during that argument? Um, no, but I did reach out to my mom uh, in an email, and I wrote her what I just told you. And her response, oh my God, this makes me cry. She said, I'm so sorry that you saw that. She said, I felt so small when I saw you and your sister sitting in the car and I felt horrible. And I replied to her because she's deaf and she lives 20 miles away. So I'm replying to her email and I said, no, no mom, that was your finest moment. Because if you hadn't done that, I would have never been able to stand up for myself, ever. And my brain, somewhere buried inside, pulled up that memory subconsciously and made me stand up for myself. Did she ever, she never told you? No. Did your father ever tell you? No. No. You know, there's there's two sides of that. You know, your father did go chase after him. He did. They love each other so much. There's no doubt about that. It shows you um, both sides of the coin. It shows it your does. mother standing up for herself. Yep. And my and dad saying, I'm not saying, gonna take I this shit up. anymore. Yeah. And your dad saying, holy cow. What, what did I do? Exactly. Forget about thinking about what I did and yeah. if I what's my part in it. I got to go tell my wife. Mm-hmm. Whatever happened, this, you know, this this can't be it. You right. Know? And that's like surrendering. Mm-hmm. You know. And and I also learned by watching them that if you're committed to somebody, you have to talk and you have to work it out. It doesn't mean that you have to fight about it. it just means you have to hear the other side because your side isn't the only side so and that's something that in looking at my marriage it was his side only and I was never heard yeah it sucks so and and I I wasn't counted I wasn't considered Mm. so the other piece of this and this is a big nugget um my dad and I were always very close we still are very close I talk to him almost every day to both my parents almost every day and um except for this damn corona getting his has kind of put a crimp in our communication <laughs> pattern we don't uh, see him you yeah don't see him. Yeah. yeah but um one of there was a song that came on um and the lyrics 
You know how, like, have you ever been in automatic pilot, like I was cleaning, and have you ever heard a song and you've heard it so many times before, but all of a sudden your brain tunes into the lyrics and you're like, well, shit. Hmm. Yeah, it's like when you read the same story a hundred times exactly. and you don't remember that line being in there. Yeah, and all of a sudden it resonates. Yeah. So this one line made me go, oh, shit. And it was called... I blame my father for the wasted years. We hardly talked. And I went, oh shit. And I went back and I went, here we go, down the rabbit hole, gotta rip open those wounds. What is that telling me? So I went back in time. Now I was 38 at the time, I'm 44 now. And I came to realize that in my 38 years, and I can say, my 44 years, that actually changed this year. In th- at, up until I was 38, not once did my father say, I love you. Not once did he say, you were beautiful. Me that. Not once did he say, you know, he, he, didn't, he didn't compliment me. I never felt unloved. But my, somehow my brain twisted that up and made it to be me feeling inadequate and somewhere or unworthy. And once I realized that, I started looking at my patterns of behavior and started looking at the relationships that I had and my friendships and the type of people I had in my life. It's a metric fuck ton. <laughs> but once I went, now I get it. I was seeking validation for myself and worth in others. And I was in unhealthy relationships and superficial relationships, especially with men, that seemed to be fulfilling, but it was just feeling filling the void of hearing I love you or hearing you're beautiful or because I never heard that growing up. So I wasn't going deeper into more meaningful relationships with better quality people. And I actually went back to my father and I, I, I remember exactly where I was. It was a sunny day outside. It was after one of the kids' base, baseball games. And I, and I told him everything that I just told you. And he looked at me and he was heartbroken like I'm not built that way and I said dad I know and I'm not blaming you for anything I never felt unloved and that's what matters but I had to go through all of this to understand why I have been the way I have been and why I've gone through my hells and it's been worth it and he just hugged me and in the past, I don't know, probably six months, um, especially because I now work in a in healthcare and with the elderly population, um, my parents and I communicate even more than we used to, just because now it's it's so much more meaningful and close to me. And he has said a couple of times, "I love you," through a text, you know, and and it's. And I think part of it is because he's he's turning 80 and he knows he's not going to be around, 
you know, forever. And he knows, I think he's kind of stored all of this away mm. for a later date, and this might be the later date, you know. Um, so in terms of, you know, in order to be able to give and give back, you have to, I truly believe that it's a grueling process of looking at yourself and all the parts that you neglected and didn't love and changing that and then forgiving yourself for the things that you allowed within yourself. You know how much energy because I've done this, you know, obviously in order to stay sober and happy. And I don't just mean sober like not drinking and doing drugs. I mean, the whole part of being sober is not being dry and angry and resentful. The whole part of being sober is going through a process where you actually look at yourself, identify traits that you don't like, try and let go of resentments, make amends, look at yourself and get to a point where you actually have respect for yourself and love yourself and you don't need justification from anyone else. That takes so much energy, and like you said, that rabbit hole, going, looking at yourself <laughs> is one of the most painful, stressful, down almost to the point it's of... Grueling. It's depressing. But you have to do it. And you'll get to the to other grow, side. Because if you, if do you don't work. do it, you'll just get worse. Well, and and You can't stop halfway either. No, you can't. And... With my ex-husband, we had a period of three years of being amicable. And in the early days of that, it was like a light switch for him. Mm. He was nasty and mean, and then the next day, it was like a light switch, and he was amicable. And I was like, okay, where's the shark just going to jump out of the water this time? That could be the brain So, well, there was... Or was he always like that? mm, Well... You never knew what you were going to get with him. Bipolar? But there was... Kind of almost. Almost, yeah. Um, but there's, there was a period of three years. And in the early days of the three years, um, I actually sat him down and I thanked him. And, I re- and he looked at me like I had three heads. But I said to him... I, I, yeah. Because I said, you know, listen, a lot's happened in the six years... You're still a dick, but... <laughs> I didn't say that part. But I, I thanked him. I'm like, listen, I'm, like, we went through a lot of shit. And I said, I know that you hurt. And I said, a lot happened to you. Like, you lost your job. You lost your career. You lost your wife. You know, and I get it. And you were very angry and bitter. And you took a lot out on me. And I understand that. It takes a big person to what you did. I had to do it for me. I know, it still takes a lot. And then I said, everything that you threw at me, I mean, he took me to court three times in two years to try and take away our children from me. For no reason. He had no solid reason whatsoever. I spent an obscene amount of money defending my custody. And I have every right to be angry and bitter to him, but I just can't because it's not going to serve me. And because I said, and I truly believe that had he not done the things that he had done, I just remember looking at him and saying, thank you for all the things you threw at me because I used them 
become better. To be a better woman, a better mother, a better friend, a better daughter. And I love you for that. I can't hate you. I, I thank you for that, for doing that for me. And I promised him that if he would take one step towards me in co-parenting, that I would meet him more than halfway. And I always have. Mm -hmm. And I always followed through with that. And we had a period of peace for three years. Turn the corner last late summer where word came out that he had been physically abusing the kids and emotionally abusing him, them to the point where Wyatt had marks on him and then you know the emotional abuse, they were sleeping in the same room with the door locked and barricaded in because they didn't know what was coming next. That is horrifying. I don't even like hearing that. I, it, ugh. That was the part that got me. You know, like the physical abuse, it, it was knowing that my kids were sleeping in fear. They were actually losing sleep. And I didn't know until about two months ago the, the next layer on that was, and that was the alcoholism. I came home from work and Wyatt's calling me. He's like, uh, DCPNP or Child Protective Services is at the door. And I'm like, uh-oh. And my ex-husband and I were arguing because he was doing things to the kids that was alienating them like manipulating and my older son just got fed up and blocked him on the phone just stopped talking to him what is it about people who manipulate when they feel like they're losing control instead of being nice yeah to try they and, go the opposite they direction. go the opposite direction because it's a control thing once a, a control freak especially on narcopaths. They try to hurt you even more. They do. They, when they f lose control, when they feel like they can't control you and you don't give them what they want, which is them controlling they you, they you. lose their control. Yeah. They lose their minds. And I've seen it over and over and over again with him. But what came out two months ago was that he was drinking and leaving our younger son at home alone to go out drinking. Now in the conversations with the social worker and my sons, to hear that he was coming home stumbling drunk, holding up the walls pretty much. Gotta make sure they don't fall down. And, and Levi, he, whenever his father would go out would make his father bring home the receipt that itemized what yeah what so his father had to eat and drink when he was out wow and levi doesn't believe him because he never had one beer you know he levi, would bring home a levi not i know why it why it will hold people accountable but levi was doing wow, it i actually have a picture of smart kid yeah because he wanted to hold his father accountable. Your kids are great to begin with, but wow, <laughs> more than I am. But Levi said, that's not all the receipt. He always had a feeling there would be two receipts, the one that his father would show, and then the other that he, you know, that had all the alcohol in it. Or it have like a Happy Meal on it, something that's not even where he went? No, it's like a slice of pizza, a beer, and then a soda or something. Not the eight shots of Jack Daniels he took. Well, yeah. And, you know, there, when there's a denial, 
that you ever drink or you leave the kids, you know, your son at home. But on public social media, you're at the bar <laughs> and it's posted that you're at the bar and you have a drink in your hand. That's Where your son's a problem. At home. Yeah. yeah. So, you know, it's the, the damage that is done not only to yourself, but to the people around you when you don't take a look at yourself is so you're it's healing. worse than a tornado. You're healing and you're trying to recover. But you have to put up with this other person who's like a dark entity because you have children. There's no way out for, for you at this moment. Things could get better. You know, as I hope. It, I mean, it, it, <laughs> eventually things will turn somewhere down the line. But you, it's almost like stunting your growth because you can only go so far and then you get pulled back in because you get the feeling that your two children aren't safe. And that's actually what did happen. Um, when the abuse, the physical and emotional abuse came out, I found a counselor for him and I encouraged him to go. But that never happened. It never happened. And then when this turned up... help. Exactly. So, in speaking with the social worker, you actually spoke with him today... My ex-husband doesn't go to a counselor. Sounds so like he, a true alcoholic. He is. And I don't know how he's going to get through this one unscathed. But, I mean, if I know myself and I'm I'm never afraid to look at myself and go, hey. Because oh, you're a healthy individual. Because I don't want to be the person I was. Yeah. And, but if you not only lose your wife... But you lose the friends that you had. And it things your life diminishes over time to where one of your children will walk by you and not even look at you. Well, you lose the respect of your family. Exactly. Your children. Your children are supposed to be your most sacred people in your life. Yes. And when you do things to drive them away, and you can't look at yourself and go, where am I going wrong? There's a bigger problem. Because you don't see your part in it. And that's and where... The, yeah. And I... His mentality probably stopped. Yeah. A long time ago. Like What's his, hard for me girl. is that I think you know me. I'll help anybody. Mm-hmm. But I turned myself inside out last time. You're helping me. And you're helping the people to listen to the show tonight. That's... I hope so. <laughs> oh, I know so. I've already gotten feedback from the first episode. Because to give back... Because I've given what I can to him, so I I just can't stay on that hamster wheel. So I'm doing, in the past several months, I've been doing all I can to help others. So with the domestic violence hotlines and making awareness of that, and then with this coronavirus, I've been a, I've touched so many people yeah. where they've helped me in getting PPE and letters of encouragement for my facility, but I'm also, I'm in the process of creating care kits for nurses that I know in their units at their hospitals because we're far from over and it's, 
you know, none of us are okay. No, not a single person in healthcare right now is okay. I have people who will reach out and go, hey, how are you doing? And you're like, you want to say I'm okay, but none of us are okay. What we're seeing is not okay. Nobody's okay. No one is okay. Very you know, few people that I talk to. We're not okay. Everyone's just a little off. Yeah, I mean, I sit every day with a man who's very old and very frail and he's dying he's on hospice and i sat with him today um well <laughs> um and thankfully i already have a counselor that i'm going to that's specifically for domestic violence but our but our company has also given us resources um that you know hotlines and 24-hour help that we can call when we're not okay and um you know, given us, reminded us of the um, already existing services of Alcoholics Anonymous and Narcotics Anonymous. So we have help, but, and it's going to be a long road ahead of us because this isn't really going to hit us until later. And I there is going to be, off. yeah. I know a lot of people that sober, you know, men and women that I know that just disappeared. Yeah. And I know people that are drinking more because of this that aren't Because normally. they don't know how, there's... It's a coping mechanism it's a right coping now. Me it's an unhealthy coping mechanism. So what do you have? Now, we, we talked about, we have about, I don't know, five minutes left. Mm -hmm. Your experience, strength, and hope. It's a very inspirational story. I consider you a great friend of mine. Um, your message comes across very passionately, and a lot of people, as in myself as well, enjoy hearing your experience strength and hope and get a lot of I'm very optimistic about the future when I hear your story now that being said these are different times that we live in right now for the past month month and a half okay <laughs> what do you have to say to people that are sitting home that are going through this what is you how do you how do you cope I know I cope with the usual uh talking to like-minded people, trying to stay positive, uh, trying not to think about, um, you know, anything negative that I would, I would, um, I can't even get away with thinking things normally because now I know I have like really honestly nothing to go home to. And I don't mean like lonely. Right. I mean, I can't go to the gym. gym. I can't go to my usual, you know, meeting place. Um, going to the store is like a fr it's like a freaking uh logistical nightmare because you gotta be you, there's <laughs> you like gotta i feel be. like i'm an actor <laughs> and you gotta stand on a tape all right take three i mm -hmm. gotta wear a mask and everyone's walking around just looking at themselves like i can't believe this shit's going on this is fucked up everyone's got the you same can't look on their face into anybody and you know people and freak out someone crazy. sneezes and everyone's like what the hell get I down <laughs> i know and, and I it's know. it's like such you know everyone's on edge um i try and be overly nice to people now because i know like we are all in this together if one or two people i run into during the day acts really nice to people on purpose just because of the shit that's going on then i'll feel better they'll feel better and it like you know it goes down the line. It's like holding the door for someone. I held the door for for somebody yesterday, and this guy was walking in. He had a bad limp. Older gentleman, has mask on. I held the door, and I'm holding it. He's like, "Oh, thank you." And looks at the other door and opens the other door, and I didn't get. 
you know, it's like you get like, oh, that was rude. And I looked at him like, I understand. Yeah. Like he just didn't want to touch the door because I was touching it with it's a bare hand. Compassion. And it's like, I'm like, it's, it's that bad. And I'm like, well, I felt sorry. Him, but he might have just lost somebody from COVID. Well, he looked like he was in bad health. Yeah. So he's on edge. And what if I had it? Exactly. And because I had my bare hand on the door. Yeah. He touched it and he gets sick. Right. And we had that conversation and it was just a, a glance. Yeah. And we had that little conversation, like, I understand. And I just, like, mm-hmm. I understand, God bless. Nothing was said, but just, uh, thank you. And then he went to another door, you know. And it's, it's like, this is so weird. I've never had to go through this. I don't know anyone that's ever gone through this, you know. For me, I'm in healthcare, obviously. And I can't escape it. Just no, you or you every day. Every day. It's all you do. And then I come home this. and it's like I can't hug my kids. Because if I'm carrying it, I can't, I have to. They're upstairs and I strip down and I put my clothes in a bag and take a shower. And you know, Wyatt got so fed up with not being able to hug me that he made me wrap myself in a towel like a cocoon and he hugged me. You and hugged him after you shower? Yeah. Okay. And I don't face in their direction or anything like that. But why I got so fed up, he's like, you just need a hug. I came home in tears after, you know, work one day. My mother was crying the other day because of Easter. Yeah. And My what I very found, yeah. Be very emotional. And that's a good thing though. Like she have to let it out. And for me, the things that I'm doing to help the front line because I am front line and I it's shitty. It is apocalyptic. Is giving to others you know the care kits that I'm doing you know trying to look for donations for nurses that I used to work with because they're on COVID units and they're on you know delivering babies of COVID patients and they don't have face shields you know I'm you know I don't and it makes me feel good to give to make a difference you're not just giving for giving's sake you're giving for the humanity's sake. Exactly. I'm trying to put that in words. So the more you give, the more you give to you too. And it's healing. Instead of sitting at home and getting sucked into that vortex, being constructive with your time and energy is very, very healthy. You want to choose healthy outlets. Most of us go to the gym. I do martial arts. Thankfully, I can do it on Zoom in the comfort of my home with my kids. But my time is filled other ways by doing good for others because it distracts me. It takes away from the death and sickness that's around me all the time. So if you can transform all those negatives, whether it's pain or suffering or both, which is really what it is, and touch them and say, I can turn this into good, that's the ultimate thing that we should do for ourselves. So you're saying don't be fear-based? No. You got to look at your internal vibration and see where it's coming from. Mm. How your behaviors and thoughts, where they're coming from. Well, I appreciate everything. Uh, I appreciate you coming Thank you. (laughs) Another great episode. This makes uh, two hours for our our show. And I'd love to have you on in the future. I'd love to Hopefully... It'll be uh, the on the other side of this this um, isolation quarantining that we have going on. Well, we're getting there. Thank you for sharing the way you unfucked yourself. Um, 
and keep uh, going down that path. Absolutely. I know it's a little bit of a uh, drastic word to use, but it's very appropriate because that's really what you do. Mm-hmm. Really, it truly you is. You get your head out of your it ass. It truly is. And you love yourself and you have some self-respect. Yep. And that's a beautiful thing. That's all I have, folks. Tune in next time.